Sarah here, and I'm bringing you Stephanie's story today. It's a heartbreaker. I say that because this is a story about Stephanie's growth. I see it as less about her ex, which I'll tell you right now, it's hard to calmly listen to everything he puts her through. But I think this is less about him, take my word for it, and more about her discovering herself and what might have predisposed her to allowing someone like him to break her down and learning that she is worthy of taking up space and of being cared for by someone else other than herself. Unfortunately, she fell hard for someone who was very charming and he took full advantage of this for a long, dark time. Now I'll tell you the good news up front. She now has a beautiful family and she was kind enough to send me an update email on her ongoing healing process. I got her permission to share that she's still digging up those old roots and she realizes that she was never taught how to ask for or how to receive help. And I love that she ended her email with, I am happy and I continue to work on myself. I will keep working because I am worthy and I deserve happiness. Some notes for this episode. It is an older recording, so the audio quality is not great. It was before I learned that there were better ways. And I'm also dropping us kind of right into our conversation because we had dove in before I hit record. Content warnings to be aware of are domestic violence, sexual violence and rape, suicidal ideation, and body shaming. I have never told anyone the whole story. You know what I mean? Like I've told my sister bits and pieces of it. My mom was, I lived with my mom for bits and pieces of it. I've told my cousin bits and pieces of it, but I've never like told anyone the whole story, the whole gravity of it. And I think that can be very isolating because if you're not honest with yourself, you can't be honest with anyone else. And right after I made contact with you, I started writing things down because it has been quite a few years. And I think I've realized that I've suppressed a lot of it. So I just kind of started typing one day and I didn't stop for a couple of days and it ended up being 12 pages, not double space, like 11 font, 11 point font. It was, it was a lot. And I still don't think I remember everything. I remember like the big parts of it and like how I felt because I think I still deal with some PTSD now. I mean, just yesterday I was my husband and I were with my family. We do an annual like baking and costume contest together. We all get together and we literally just eat desserts <laughs> in our costumes. We were there and we live two hours away from my family. So we had to drive and the baby gets car sick. He's not a baby, but he gets car sick. So it's like we try to leave closer to bedtime so we don't have to deal with him throwing up everywhere. And we were there at my sister's house for like seven hours. I was just so like, are you okay? You know, do you want to leave? You know, we can leave. You can go take a break. And he's like, chill. Your family's nice. I'm enjoying myself. You're projecting right now. I'm fine. We're okay here. And I was just like, okay, just, you know, if you get tired of my family, and I understand if you want to go to Target or something like an escape. And he's like, no, I'm having a good time. It's great. Chill. So I think we are you from your past? We finally broke up in 2017, but we still lived together. So I was still in the thick of it. As of in July was the last time he tried contacting me. So he still tries to contact me. And I finally changed my number after all these years. And the email that he does have, I ha- it's just like my junk email. I don't really monitor it too much. We met in 2012 and then we... We're together for five years. So we broke up officially in 2017. 
And then I met my husband in 2018. And then I got pregnant right away and had my son in 2019. So it was just kind of boom, boom, boom. I feel like I'm still doing some healing even while being married. And he's very understanding to that because I mentioned before, he went through a very, very similar experience, but he was actually married to her. We met online, I believe, Plenty of Fish in 2012. So I was about to turn 22. And he was a few years older than me. I believe he was like 25. Started dating. At the time, I was in college, putting myself through college, working sucky retail job. Never had a serious boyfriend. Was just looking for love. I was young, horny, dumb, and desperate for love, unfortunately. So I feel like I was very vulnerable to someone like him who's who I learned to be manipulative and he was an expert gaslighter. And so I think that's what kind of made me ignore the red flags and my gut feeling to tell me run, run, run. And I didn't. I think that's what led me to ignore all of that because I was just lonely and young. We started dating and we said, I love you fast and, you know, saw each other all the time. And it was just moved way too quickly. But I was very excited because I liked him. He wasn't really my type physically, but I don't really pay too much attention to that. But he let me know pretty early on that I was not his type physically. I'm pretty short in stature. I'm five one and a half. Sometimes I get the doctor or nurse to write down five two. I don't have an athletic build. I have a more pleasantly plump build. And he was short. He was like five five, five six. So he wasn't tall by any means. We were both Hispanic. He liked small, short, petite girls, preferably Asian. He liked girls with like brightly colored hair. And he always told me that my butt wasn't big enough. I have, I'm more blessed in the front area versus the back area. But he always said, well, I prefer girls with bigger butts than yours. You know, I wouldn't mind if you got a breast reduction. And it's like, I've always been self-conscious about my chest just because I was always picked on because I was, you know, the sixth grader with sized C cup. And it was just something that I've always felt insecure about. And I think he sensed that and just kind of always brought it up throughout our five years. I was always aware that I was not his type physically and he was no catch himself. He wasn't six one muscular guy who can get any girl. He was just insecure about the way he looked. So that way he basically broke me down and made me feel like I'm not attractive, but I'll do for him. He's doing me a favor. Pretty early on, I was going over to his house and hanging out and he was a big video game player. I was sitting in his room, bored, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go on a laptop and go on Facebook or whatever I was doing at the time. I open the laptop and I see his very active dating profile. And at this point, we were already official. I didn't say anything. I just looked at it and it was this very cute girl, petite, colored hair, his type physically. And it was just like her profile up. I just saw it. I closed the laptop and I just said, I have to go. I have to go. And I left. He chased me down the street and I just was crying and I couldn't talk. It just all of my insecurities came rushing out. So I left and he was blowing up my phone, calling me, calling me. So I finally answered and he realized what I had seen. He finally told me, why didn't you close out of it? Why would you leave that tab open? So now I know what you saw and now I feel bad. It's your fault as to why I feel bad to making you see that. And I just said, 
but you left it open. Why is it still active? Well, I just forgot about it and I just happened to sign in, but you should have closed out of it. You shouldn't have left it open because now I feel bad. I immediately felt guilty. I believed him. And I said, it was definitely my fault for not closing the tab. I should have protected him better. From our first date, we were already official like one month in. Like we were just head over heels, seeing each other like every day, every other day. His first birthday together, we went to the movies and he had asked me, he's like, hey, can you put my phone in your purse so that way I can sit comfortably? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Whatever. So we're sitting there watching the movie and he had the setting where it flashes when you get a call. Watching the movie and I'm seeing this flashing. I'm like, and I'm feeling vibrating. I'm like, what the heck? You know, who didn't turn off their phone in the movie? And I realized it's coming from my purse and it's not my phone because I don't have that feature. My, my phone's silent. It's his phone. And the whole movie, it's flashing and vibrating, flashing and vibrating. I was like, okay, maybe he's getting text messages for his birthday. We got out of the movie and I said, hey, your phone was going off. And he's like, yeah, I have something to tell you. It's my ex-girlfriend. She's crazy. She's blowing up my phone. I think she just wanted to tell me happy birthday. And I was like, should I be worried? And he's like, no, she's just crazy. And she lives in Mexico. So don't even worry about it. I didn't think really anything of it. A few weeks later, we were at a hotel spending the night together and getting ready to go get dinner. This was like, like I said, a few weeks later. I have to tell you something. Remember my phone was blowing up? It's not an ex-girlfriend. It's actually my younger cousin. She lives in Mexico. She was blowing me up to tell me happy birthday. He's like, but don't worry, you passed the test. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I lied to you because I wanted to test you. And I was like, well, why do you have to lie about your cousin? I don't understand. Why would you say it's your ex-girlfriend? I'd much rather it be your cousin. I'm close to my cousins. It's fine. And he's like, well, I wanted to test you. And I'm so glad you passed the test. You know, I wanted to see if you were the jealous type and you didn't. And he phrased it. So like I did something great. So I was just like, oh my gosh, I passed the test. Like I'm such a good girlfriend. We're really meant for each other. From the beginning, he had trouble regulating his emotions. Um, he was easily angered and frustrated. He liked playing the victim. For example, early on, he said, I'm really close with my family, but I'm not really close to my mom. I'm closer to my dad. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm really close to my family. So I said, oh, can you tell me more about that? Well, my mom and my dad are you know, now separated. They had a violent relationship, so they're now separated. I never felt love from my mom because I look like my dad. So every time she looks at me, she sees my dad. And, you know, that's why she's always loved my brother more than she's loved me. I said, oh, my gosh, that, that sucks. I can't imagine not feeling that love from my mom. I love my mom. My mom is my best friend. I'm so sorry. And he's just like, yeah, you know, I've never felt love. And, you know, I never went to college because um, no one ever talked to me about it. And I was like, well, no one ever talked to me about it either. You know, I kind of just went to college and he's like, yeah, but, you know, no one was ever there to explain things to me. I didn't know how to register for classes or, you know, that's why I just, I just never finished. And I was like, well, no one taught me how to register for classes. You just kind of just click around. until <laughs> I just said, oh my gosh, you poor thing. And he's like, you know what? I don't always have a lot of money because I'm always helping out my dad with his finances. And I'm just like, 
oh, you're such a good son for helping out your dad financially because his dad was a truck driver or something. Little did I know he meant helping him out was paying rent and helping out with bills, the house he was living at, you know, but he had this superpower, I guess, to change the narrative to make him the victim. And he was really, really good at that. And I just, I didn't see it at first. He never got this love from his mom. I want to be the person to show him what a family could do for him, you know, because my family is very loving and accepting and they're great. And I want to show him what a family can mean, what unconditional love is. I think that is very much stemmed in, I'm a people pleaser, I'm an enabler. And I think that was not his fault, but that was how I grew up. Uh, my mom's, my dad are both enablers and people pleasers. So I think that's just what I saw. That's what was natural to me. And he preyed upon it. When we were meeting each other's families, my family was very hesitant, but they're always very cordial. It was the first guy I'd ever brought around. They were accepting and he's, he was more reserved. So he didn't really click with anyone in my family, which is fine. Like, like my family's loud and big and very loving. And it, that's not what he was used to. So I was like, oh, I'll just give it time. It'll be fine. You know, my, my family will warm up to him. He'll warm up to them. When I met his family, they were living maybe like an hour or two away from where we were. And when I met his mom, his sister, his brother-in-law, and his niece and nephew, they were nice at first, cordial, very welcoming because we stayed the weekend with them. But as they were getting to know me, their tone changed when they realized that I wasn't from Mexico or didn't speak fluent Spanish. I wasn't Mexican enough. His mom was, his parents are from Mexico and his mom speaks very little English. So to communicate was a little difficult at first. They were saying, well, how can your last name be Hernandez and you don't speak Spanish? And it's like, well, my parents only learned Spanish because of their field of work. My mom was a nurse. My dad was a butcher. They learned. And they're like, well, where are your parents from? From California. Well, where are your grandparents from? Northern California. They were fruit pickers. But where are you guys from? And I was so confused. I was like, we're from California. At least four or five generations. It's dated all the way back to California. We've just, we were part of Mexico, I guess. And then we just got adopted into the U.S. I don't really know. They're like, so you're not really Mexican then? I was like, no, I'm not. I'm Mexican-American, right? I'm not from Mexico, so I can't say I'm Mexican. So I'm Mexican-American. They're like, yeah, but you're just white. They just didn't understand that I was fifth or sixth generation, you know? And it's just, they followed traditional roles, you know? The wife cooks, cleans, takes care of the kids. They knew I was going to college. His sister actually asked me, why are you going to college? And I said, to better myself, to better my life. And she's like, yeah, but once you finish high school, it's you're done. And I just said, well, I, this is something that I want. And, you know, if this is not good enough for him, then he knows not to be with me because I value my education. He just didn't stick up for me. So the first time I met them, his mom made this very authentic Mexican dish. You know, something I never heard of, something I never tried. It was kind of like a delicacy. I tried it. I wasn't, I was a pickier eater back then, but I tried it. I didn't want to be rude. It just didn't sit right with me. It was just, I think, a little too greasy for my stomach. And I spent the whole weekend just in and out of the bathroom because it was just too heavy for me. And I kid you not, it's like I shot them 
in the chest, right in the heart, because I didn't like their food. And it's like, no, I didn't. It's not that I didn't like it. I just, I'm shitting my brains out right now. <laughs> it's like, I can't fake that. Can't win. <laughs> so they're just like, she doesn't speak Spanish. She doesn't eat authentic Mexican food. She can't even cook. And it's like, I can cook. I just, I can't make that dish, <laughs> you know? So they didn't like me very well. And they were pretty vocal throughout our entire relationship, but that I wasn't good enough for him, even though I was the breadwinner. I went to college. I ended up getting my bachelor's and I was never good enough for him because I wasn't Mexican enough. Pretty early on, like less than six months we were together, we got engaged. I had a feeling that he was going to ask me. He showed up at my work, asked me. I was over the moon. I picked out a ring because he didn't have one. He couldn't afford one. So I picked one out and I paid for it, which I was okay with at the beginning. I wanted something that I, I wanted to like it. Told my family through text message. And no one was overly ecstatic for me, understandably. Everyone was just like, oh, wow. I didn't get the reaction I wanted. And I was a little hurt. Why can't they see that I'm happy? And I was lying to myself that I was happy, right? He struggled to regulate his own emotions. He was a fan of the silent treatment. If he would get upset, he would just stop talking. He was shut down. Like, literally, like, not look at me as if I wasn't even there. And sometimes it was a few hours. Sometimes it would be for three days. I wouldn't hear from him. And I would beg for him to talk to me and open up and just tell me what I did wrong. Tell me I'll fix it. I'll fix it. Because by him not saying anything, I automatically took on the role of let me fix it. What did I do wrong? I'll apologize. That's just how he dealt with many things. He was very easy to cut someone off from his life if they pissed him off even one time. It could have been a joke that he didn't find funny. He was just like, I don't like that person. I don't think you should talk to them. So right after us getting engaged, we move in together. Uh, we rented a like a back studio from a friend's family. And I was in charge of all the packing, getting all the supplies the bed, the table, the whatever, the dressers, everything. He did not help with the moving, really. I had to bring in friends. I remember the first night, we didn't have a bed frame, but we had a mattress and a box spring on the floor. And I remember being exhausted. We were laying in the dark, and I remember thinking, like, what the f*** did I do? This was the worst mistake I ever did. And that's when I realized I'm not happy. I remember laying there on the floor in the dark, just staring at this feeling like, this is bad. This is bad. I don't know what I'm doing here. So where we moved was kind of far for his work. He had about like a 45, 50 minute commute in traffic, unfortunately. But it was kind of closer to my neck of the woods. But I was traveling far for school and for work. But I had less traffic. So pretty early on, he was always resentful. That he was tired from driving and he works long hours and he would just want to come home and just play video games. He didn't want to do anything. So I would come home like an hour before him and I was expected to cook and clean and have dinner ready for him. I wasn't the best cook, but I would always try. At first, you start off with like chicken and noodles and then chicken and rice and then spaghetti. You know, I was trying. We had to go into the main house to use the stove, but we had a small kitchenette, but just not a stove. I would cook and clean and he wouldn't even, he would eat at his desk, 
he would not eat at a table with me. He would sit and play his video games and eat. He wouldn't even bring his plate to the sink. So sometimes the plates would stack up. And I'm like, hey, Michael, can you bring your plates to the sink so I can wash them? Uh, you could just grab them. It's only like 20 feet away. Okay, but, it, you know, just don't let them sit there because they get, I have to let them soak then. They get moldy. And he's just like, mm, yeah, 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 I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah, sure. And they would get moldy. I would have to throw dishes away that weren't even mine because he couldn't pick up a sponge and wash his own dishes or anything. But I felt responsible for taking care of him, one, because it was our shared living space. We were living together, but also I have to take care of him. Everyone's always taking care of him. I assumed that identity when when he told me the story of, oh, my mom doesn't love me. I felt obligated to take care of him. Him playing video games and me being the only one cooking and cleaning was a huge source of contention in our our relationship. Fights. And he would just ignore me. Ask him, like, what do you want for dinner? And he would just not say anything. He would rather not eat than talk to me. This whole time, I'm still working full time. So I'm going to work in the morning, then going to Cal Poly Pomona to finish my bachelor's, coming home, making dinner, getting up to be at work at 6 a.m. I was just exhausted all the time and I would work Saturdays. So Sundays was really my only day off to like cook and gluten and do whatever, homework. One day I was doing dishes and I said, hey, can you go inside the main house and make me some eggs? I'm like starving right now. And he's like, no, just just eat whatever in the fridge. And I said, well, we don't have any leftovers right now. I haven't gone grocery shopping. Can you please just make me some eggs? I'm starving. Right before I had warmed him up, the two tacos that we had, or I remember they were tacos. He's like, well, just eat the tacos. So I said, no, I warmed those up for you. I would like some eggs. And he got so mad at me. He got the plate and he threw it at me. Taco meat's flying everywhere. The tortillas, the salsa, and it, it misses me. Hits the wall. It goes everywhere. And then he's like, fine, now we're both fucking hungry now. And then he ignored me for three days. He didn't talk to me. So I'm crying, picking up little pieces of taco meat off the floor because it was carpet, cleaning off salsa off of the wall. And I was telling myself, I shouldn't have asked. I should have just did it myself. He's busy. He's trying to decompress, play video games. He, he can't be bothered with my needs. Not only would he not clean up after himself, he wouldn't take care of himself. So poor diet. He would shower and stuff, but he just wouldn't floss or like go for a walk to decompress. You know, he just wanted to sit there and eat and play his video games. And if I took a day to, I don't know, just watch TV, I was lazy. I should be cleaning because the place is a mess. And it's like, yeah, it's a mess because your desk has a pile of dishes. But again, always my fault. Quick question. At this point mm-hmm. in your relationship... Were there ups and downs? Like, did you have good moments or was it, you did say there was a lot of contention right now because of how messy he was and all of that. Were there any good times in this time or were you just kind of pushing through? During this time, I think I was just pushing through. And unfortunately, this was only like our first year together. And like I said, we were together for five years If we had good times, it's when we weren't in this small little studio together. We would do date night, we would do dinner in a movie or whatever, but it was not very good at this point. It was a lot of fighting and we were both, I think, very bad towards each other because I wasn't asking for help. 
I wasn't expressing my needs. You know, I wasn't setting that boundary. Like if I'm going to cook dinner, you need to do dishes. I didn't hold that line with him. What happened when you asked for eggs? Yes. (laughs) Maybe some instinctual part of you knew it wasn't worth asking. Definitely. I just learned to just, like you said, power through it. And it finally came to a head. We actually broke up. The fighting just got too bad. I started noticing that I was happier when I wasn't home. I would go to work. I would go to school. And I was happy. And I just knew that I didn't want to be home. But yet I convinced myself that this is normal. This is love. You know, he loves me. I need to take care of him. I convinced myself that I needed to be there. That people pleaser part of me was like, what will people say? I don't want to prove anyone who talked bad about our relationship. I want to show them that we are meant to be and that we're going to stay together because we're engaged now. I need to prove to everyone that we're in love. And it was around this time, right before we broke up, but I stopped wearing my ring because I knew we weren't going to get married. We never set a date. We didn't have any money. He didn't even offer to help me pay for my ring. So I just stopped wearing it. He noticed and he was like, why aren't you wearing your rings? Like, oh, I can't wear it at work. I'm too rough on my hands. And he was like, well, why aren't you wearing it today? I was like, you know what? I, I forgot it at home. And then he just stopped asking. So it kind of like him asking me to marry him didn't even happen. No plans. It just like it never happened. And he was very, very good at that. You know, after ignoring me, he would just say, hey, you want to go get a bite to eat? So he was able to flip that switch pretty well. He also was very vocal that he didn't like my family. My mom was too nice. What did he say about my sister? It was something like, my sister was too quiet and too nice. She is very shy. My brother's too mean. And he's just a six foot one, big, intimidating guy. You know, it's just like his appearance is very intimidating. He was okay with my dad because my dad would just be in the corner, just observing. He never really interacted. My family never gave him a reason for him to not like them, but he just never liked them. But I wasn't allowed to talk crap about his family. His sister was an avid meth user. We'd go to bed. She would stay up and repaint the bathroom overnight. She would disappear for hours to go do her thing and then come back and be high off drugs. And they would do barbecues and stuff. And they had about 14 outdoor cats. So you had to be careful where you stepped outside. It smelled pretty bad. Indoors, the dogs were allowed to use the bathroom on the floor. So you had to watch where you stepped. Sometimes they would leave it there for days. It's not like, oh, little Bingo had an accident. It was, no, Bingo shat on the tile floor like three days ago and it's crusty now. Sorry, I just want to make sure I'm picturing this correctly. This <laughs> his family's home? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Growing up or current day? Okay. Yeah. They would never put sheets on the mattresses. So the mattresses were old, stained, disgusting, and I was supposed to sleep on them. So I would hate to go over there. I would make me feel so uncomfortable. I felt dirty. It smelled. And plus, they would talk shit to my face. Can you warm up the tortillas, Stephanie? Oh, actually, do you know how to do that? Yes, I know how to warm up tortillas. Okay, well, let me watch you just to make sure you know how to do it. And I said, okay, well, do you use tongs or do you use your hands? I was like, I prefer to use tongs. so I'm not touching everyone's food. Well, you probably can't even do it because you're not 
you don't know how to cut ka. And then Michael would walk by and say like, yes, please teach her, please train her. She doesn't know what she's doing. So he would just feed into it. He would never stick up for me. Right before we broke up, actually, we had just finished fighting. So I was in the middle of the silent treatment. I started to feel sick and I knew I had a temperature. And I said, hey, I think I need to go to the hospital. I, I'm not feeling well. Ignored me. And I said, Michael, please, I need to go to the hospital. Something's wrong. Ignored me. So I called my mom. My mom drove half an hour to come pick me up, took me to the hospital. I spent the night in the hospital. I had an infection. So I came home the next day because they didn't know where the infection was. I had a bunch of like, the IV was taken out, but I had a bunch of bandages and they, the little sticky things when they do with your EKG or whatever. I looked like a hot mess. I got home. I laid down. I was trying to sleep. And he was like, where the fuck were you? I told you I went to the hospital. Well, why would you leave me? And I was like, I went to the hospital. I literally still have the tag with my name on it. Well, you shouldn't have done that. You should have just told me to take you. And I was like, I did. I was begging you to take me to the hospital. Yeah, but you can't make me feel bad by just leaving like that. Finally, we broke up. We were still living in the studio. He moved out. We still kept in contact. We would text and call. And things were actually better when we were not living together. I was still going to school and working and I was feeling better because I was living in the studio by myself. After a couple of weeks, he was just like, you know what? I think we went crazy because we were in that small space together. It just drove us crazy. We just need you know, our own bedroom and a living space. And I promise it's going to be better. And I fucking believed him. I said, yeah, but we can't afford it. Well, maybe your parents will go halfers with us on a place. So I started looking. And my mom was actually in need of a new housing situation. So we found a three-bedroom apartment, which was closer to where my work and school was, but even further for him, like adding another 45 minutes. Moved in and immediately he was like, well, we're getting the bigger bedroom, right? And I said, no, my parents are. No, I think we need that space. And I said, no, they're paying. The rent is this much. They're paying more than us. Therefore, they get the bigger bedroom. That's fair. If you would like to pay more, we can take the bigger bedroom. But since they're paying $400 more than us, they're going to take the bigger bedroom. So immediately when we moved in together with my parents, he would go and hide in the room to play video games as soon as he came home. My mom would say, you know, hi, Michael. You know, how was your day? And he would just be like, good, and just walk away. I was expected to bring him the dinner, serve him, and bring it to him in the room because he did not want to go out and talk and socialize. So I'd be sitting on the dining room table having dinner with my family. Maybe we'd play like a board game. We're really big on the Grimmy Cube. He would text me, you guys are being too loud. It's just the tiles hitting the table. Can you guys be quieter? So we would get the felt so the tiles would not hit the table. It wasn't just me making excuses and accommodating him. It was my parents too. Oh no, we had to be quiet until Michael falls asleep or whatever. Then we could play another game. My mom would be like, well, did he get enough food? Does he want me to serve him? Like, mom, no, do not serve him. I'll do it. Being surrounded by that just kind of reminded me that that was my role. I don't blame my parents. It's just that's how their relationship was. So we're living together at the apartment with my parents. In no way, shape or form am I not taking any responsibility for this. 
I want to be upfront and honest that I did not always have the best reactions. I did not always have the best responses. Sometimes I initiated stuff. So I want to be honest that it wasn't always him. I'm not trying to play the victim. I was the victim, but I also was the perpetrator as well sometimes. For example, I would go through his phone and go through his browsing history. He was very, very technology savvy, so he knew how to cover his tracks. But this whole time we were together, he was still talking to his cousin, which is fine. I'm all for having contact with family. What I did not like, what I discovered was that he would have inappropriate conversations with his cousin who was younger than me. So she was barely legal, like 18, maybe. Not necessarily sexting, but they would have conversations around sex. I like X, Y, and Z. Oh, I like that too. And not necessarily talking about doing stuff with each other, but just not conversations I find appropriate with a cousin who is almost 10 years younger than you. He would tell her that I was this horrible girlfriend and I I never put out and I was just a raging bitch. And she's like, oh, she called him Mikey. Oh, Mikey, you should leave. You know, you should just come live with us in Mexico. She was just a little girl who was groomed, unfortunately, by her older cousin. And she was just believing what she was told. So I don't really hold any resentment towards her at all. It was just inappropriate. And I didn't like it. When I realized that they were still talking and they were talking about me and having these inappropriate conversations. She would send him pictures too, not of her naked, but just, oh, look at my new skirt. And then like, it was just booty. He used to be an adult saying, hey, this is inappropriate. But he would be like, oh, that's so beautiful. I wish stuff looked like that. So something you said you were taking responsibility for the wrong things that you did. But would you, again, I'm I'm not trying to make excuses, but do you think that you were checking his phone because he lied to you about an ex-girlfriend. You saw the dating profile that he had. There was already, you had, and he'd never took responsibility and never apologized. Mm-mm. So something in you was saying, check his phone because you knew he couldn't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I could not trust him at all, but I didn't run. It was better to, I know how backwards it sounds, but I just needed to know. So I would go through his phone and like not talk to him about it. I would see, I would read their conversations every single day. And then, you know, I would casually like, oh, are you still talking to so-and-so? He's like, no, not that much. I literally just read your conversation. When you went to the bathroom, I read your conversation. But I wouldn't tell him because I knew it would start a fight and it would be my fault for going through his phone. And then he would spin in. Well, that's why I can't tell you. That's why I can't be honest with you because you can't trust me. You just had to find out the truth, not necessarily confront it. Correct. So a lot of times I didn't say anything, but when it would boil over, I would say, you know, that's not appropriate. You can't be talking to her. And he'd like, well, it's your fault for looking. And then he would just change platforms. He'd continue talking to her, just change platforms. So it would be harder for me to find proof that they were still talking. I always felt insecure because I knew that I wasn't his type physically and his cousin was. It was just so freaking gross because I had a cousin the same age as her, a male cousin the same age as her. And I couldn't imagine having those conversations with a family member. It made me feel gross. 
And I never stood up for myself and said, hey, you need to stop talking to her. I didn't know what boundaries were. (laughs) While we were living together at the new apartment, his car finally broke down and died. And I had my own car. I had purchased it before we met. I was making payments on it. And he worked far. So naturally, he used my car because he had the longer commute. Because it was my fault as to why we live so far from his work. So he had to use my car. At the time, I was a substitute teacher, which, you know, made me go to report to different school sites. So I would either Uber, take the bus, or I would ask my parents to drop me off. Everyone in the household jumped through hoops in order for him to continue to use the car so that we wouldn't upset him. He never had to take the bus. He never had to take the train. He never had to take an Uber. He would leave my car a mess. Things went back to normal just with the silent treatments and then him gaslighting me, ignoring me, and just all of a sudden one day just be like, hey, do you want to do date night tonight? And, you know, I would tell him, like, we need to talk about these things. We need to fix these things. And he'd just be like, that's in the past. Why bring it up? We never addressed any of the issues. Arguments were just like a broken record. The same argument over and over again. If you don't talk about it and come up with a game plan, It's the same argument over and over. This was about two or three years in now. I started to have health problems. When we met, I was a size 10, 12. And I was now a size 18, 20. So I had gained a lot of weight, finally finishing up my bachelor's. And I hate my graduation pictures because I was just the biggest I had ever been. He would always make comments like, you really should lose some weight. You've gained a lot of weight. I was a broke college kid. I didn't have money to just go buy new clothes. So I would just try and wear what I could. I was having a lot of like lower back problems because of all the weight gain. My period was becoming irregular. So I went to go see an endocrinologist. The endocrinologist said, at this rate, you will likely not be able to conceive a kid if that's something you want later on in life. Even if you do, it'll be very, very dangerous and could lead to very serious health problems with you and definitely the baby. So I came up with a plan of action. I came home and I told Michael and I said, hey, starting this new medication, doctor says I have some stuff going on. And he also said that I probably won't be able to have kids. What do you mean you can't have kids? You know, kids is something I've always wanted. How could you do this to me? It's your fault. You're not going to be able to give me the one thing I've always wanted. And I'm just like, It's not for sure. I'm not declared infertile. He just said it's not probably possible. And even if it is, it probably won't be viable. I just can't. And it's your fault. This is something I've always wanted. I can't believe you're doing this to me. My fault. I was sick. My fault. I was so stressed out that I was not taking care of myself. I just didn't love myself. And I was very hurt because kids was always something that I had wanted. Bit of a backstory. Way before I met Michael, I was told by another endocrinologist that it would probably be hard for me to conceive just because of my anatomy. I had never really told him that. I don't really talk about it. And now this was years later and another doctor saying like, if you're going to have a kid, it's probably not going to be great. We're going to have a lot of problems. I was just devastated. This means I probably shouldn't have a kid for like my own health reasons. (sighs) I was heartbroken dealing with that and also being blamed 
for not being able to provide him with an heir. During all of this, starting new medication, he had an opportunity to move with his mom and start a taco truck business. Fully confident. He was excited about it. And I was like, great. This is great. Trying to be supportive in his dreams. I said, you know, you should do it. I'll help you move over there. Packed up his stuff. He moved in with his mom about an hour and a half away. He's living over there. I'm living in the apartment with my parents. And it was seriously the happiest I had been in years. I got my car back. I had my freedom to take whatever. Oh, that school's not too far. You know, I can actually go and substitute teach at the high school. I can be on time to my classes. I can stay for professors hours. I can spend time with family and friends. I can play Rummy Cube with my family. I was literally about to say, like, you can be as loud as you freaking want. Yes, like bang the tiles on the wooden table. Listen to music with my family. And I would get so annoyed when he would call and text me. It was just bringing me back down to earth. I forgot I'm still in this relationship. About a month after the taco truck, he left to go start the taco truck business. He calls me and says, you need to come pick me up. The business is not doing as well as it should be. He said, I wrote it down. The taco truck was failing because they couldn't sell out in the open because they didn't have a permit. But they couldn't afford the permit because the business wasn't doing well. So instead of just buying the bullet, buying the permit, and then seeing if the business goes, they didn't want to. It's too hard. He wasn't making any money because he was fighting too much with his stepdad. And his mom doesn't want to listen to him. So never any accountability, just everyone else's fault. Come pick me up. This time I was the only one earning money. You know, I was putting it into our account so he could buy whatever video games he wanted in his little playing cards. Because that was a new habit that he picked up. And I was paying the rent, the bills, the car payment, everything because he was trying to start this business. I was overwhelmed mentally and financially, and now I had to go pick him up. You know, I'm talking to his family and whatever, you know, like, okay, I'll spend the night while we pack up your shit. After being intimate, I was getting dressed, and he said, what's wrong with your boobs? And I said, huh? Like, they're so saggy now. It's probably because you've gained so much weight. You need to fix that. And I said, well, I can't afford to buy bras right now because I'm so big and I'm poor because I'm supporting us financially. So I'm just wearing whatever I can. And they don't always have the best support for bigger girls. I need to buy special bras that are like 50 bucks a pop. Just reminding me that I'm not good enough physically. We got back. We moved back in. He started using my car again. And he was just very angry that the business didn't work out, took it out on me. So substituting during the day, going to school at night, and if you have to commute, I mean, you need to get your hours in and taking the bus wasn't always an option. So trying to hitch rides, trying to beg my mom to take my dad to work so I could use his car. So I put my parents in a shitty situation too, but they said, yes, of course, anything for you. Because they thought I was happy. They thought that this is what I wanted. So they just also enabled him and the situation. One of our infamous fights we are fighting and he shuts down on me. He wants to leave, not move out, but leave the space, leave the apartment. And no one was home at this point. I'm blocking the door because I don't want him to leave because I'm saying, please just talk to me. Please just talk to me. What did I do wrong? He won't look at me. He's just beat red, pushes me out of the way, 
opens the door and like smashes me in between the door and the wall and leaves. I'm crying hysterically and not my best moment. Went on his laptop and I paid the bills, right? So phone was under my name. I paid for the phones. I turned off data on his phone. So his phone didn't work. So I'm sitting there (laughs) shutting his shit down, right? He comes in like maybe like half hour later and says, why do I even have this phone if it doesn't work? He proceeds to throw the phone on the floor, starts stomping on it, rips the laptop out of my hand, which was his laptop. I used it for school because I didn't have one. Rips it out of my hand, smashes it onto the floor, pulls my phone out of my hand, throws it on the floor. I was smart. I have a case on my phone, so my phone was fine. But laptop and his phone shattered. I had this little push pin board that I had all my earrings on. I had it mounted to the wall, pulls it off the wall, starts slamming it onto the wall. My earrings are going flying everywhere. And I have a lot of fake jewelry, but I also had some like pearl earrings, my, you know, my little jewelry that my mom gave me. Jewelry is going flying everywhere. And I'm just begging him to stop. And he's just full on rage. So I finally grab his hands. I sit him down on the bed and I'm on my knees and he's just <sighs> rage. And I'm crying and I'm just holding his hands on the edge of the bed. I'm just like, it's okay. It's okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. I just want you to talk to me. And he's just, <sighs> he just was going to break everything. And I calmed him down. And after he calmed down, he realized the damage he did. And he's just like, well, I need a new phone now. Okay. Yeah. Let's go to Best Buy. Let's go figure it out. Well, let me see. Let's see if we can trade yours in or whatever and just pay a fee. And he's like, no, I want the newer one. And I said, well, I can't afford that right now. I'm paying for everything. And now I don't have a laptop for school. And he's like, okay, I'll buy you a laptop. I'll buy me my own phone. I'll pay the fee. He does not buy me a laptop. The laptop goes under payments under my name. I make the payment. False promises. But he he did pay for his own phone because he just had to pay like a $100 fee or whatever. So they replaced his phone for him. Even after that huge fight that my, thank God my parents weren't there, I still felt stuck. I could not leave him. No one was ever going to love me the way he loved me because I am not physically attractive. I have all these health problems. Who's going to want to be with me? I can't even have a kid. You know, I'm super fat right now. I just felt worthless. I didn't love myself. I still wasn't taking care of myself even after talking to the doctor and saying like, this is what you need to do. Still wasn't doing it. At that point, when I had told a few select people, why are you still with him? Like, he needs me. I support him financially. Like, I show him love. I'm trying to teach him to talk through his problems. I would pick and choose who I told what to. I wouldn't tell my friends that he broke all our shit. I wouldn't tell my parents that he was shoving me because my dad would have killed him. But I would pick up the mess. I wouldn't say like, oh, we got this new laptop because he broke ours. I would just say, oh, he bought me a new laptop. I would stick up for him. I would change the narrative so that no one would have a bad perception of him. I was still protecting him. So we were still sharing a car and he was convinced that he needed his own form of transportation. And he had always been a fan of motorcycles. I'm not really a huge fan of motorcycles, but whatever. 
I was just like, okay, let's go look around. Or at the motorcycle store, (laughs) the dealer. (laughs) We're at the store. Salesman's like, okay, well, what are we working with? Like how much of a down payment? Well, I can only put like down a hundred dollars right now. It's like, okay, well, what's your credit at right now? He's like, well, it's probably at a a 500 or something. Salesman told him like, you're probably gonna need a cosigner. And they both look at me. Oh my God. I said, "I, I can't. I'm paying for the car. I'm paying for this. I'm paying for that. I can't take on another payment. And the salesman goes, don't you want to do this for your boyfriend? Don't you want to help him out? I said, I would love to help him out, but I can't. I can maybe be, maybe squeeze out the payment. But I knew, I knew it in my gut. I could not pay for this motorcycle because then I would have to stay with him longer. And I didn't have a plan for leaving him. But in my head, I was just, if I take on this payment, it's for four years. I mean, I'm stuck with him for four years. I don't want to be stuck here for four years. And wow. it's not that I was convinced I was going to leave him. I didn't have a plan or anything. I just, I don't want to be here longer. So we left the dealership empty-handed. Immediately, my fault. I didn't want to help him. It was my fault that he had bad credit. It was my fault he didn't have any savings. First of all, you had bad credit before we met. I remember when we got this apartment, they ran your credit and they said, no credit score came up because you don't have fucking credit. So the apartment was under me and my mom's name anyways. I felt guilty, but I also felt relieved that I didn't allow myself to get into making payments for him. You know, I'll make the payments, I'll make the payments, but no, it's under my name. I'm responsible for it at the end of the day. That point, it was like something in you just said, we can't. Mm -hmm. At this point, we were so rocky. I think he could feel that I was not bending over backwards to help him and give him what he wanted. We stopped being intimate. I just wasn't attracted to him anymore. I was stressed. I was having all those health problems. I just didn't want to be with him. But I didn't have a plan. I felt stuck. After an argument about how I was not putting out, he forced himself on me. He was angry. You know, he wasn't a huge guy, but he was angry. So he had that adrenaline dump or whatever. And he held down my wrist, got on top of me. And I was just saying, just stop, just stop. And I assume no one was home because I'm sure my dad would have came. I don't know. My mom probably wouldn't have come to my rescue. She would have just assumed that we were fighting. But he was on top of me and he started to undo his pants. I just looked in his eyes and I just saw that rage look I had seen so many times before. And I just knew that it was pointless. So I just said, fine, go ahead then. He snapped out of it and he looked at me and he just went, you know, that's no fun for me. If you just put out, I wouldn't have to do this. I just said, yeah, I know. Okay, I'll start putting out again. I don't, when I, when I talked to my therapist about this incident, she didn't really say that it was rape because It didn't happen, even though I was saying no and he was on top, like pinning me down. I don't really know how I feel about it, about it not being considered rape. Not that I want to be labeled 
a rape victim is just I felt violated and I just ended up giving in because I knew it was easier to give in than to fight. It's still still an assault. It's still putting you in a position that is against your will. The fact that you happened to get out was happenstance. You happened to say something that made it unappealing to him. But for all intents and purposes, you were already in that state of mind and he already had asserted power over you. Yeah. I still didn't leave. I still didn't kick his ass out. I didn't tell anyone for years that that happened. Until like maybe two years ago, casually at dinner at my cousin's house. And I was like, oh, guess what? I received another text message or email or whatever from so-and-so. And she's like, still? And I said, yeah. And she's like, what is this deal? And I casually said, oh, I didn't ever tell, I never told you about the time he held me down and tried to force himself on me. And she was like, Stephanie, oh my God, what the fuck? I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone. I was ashamed that I allowed him that much control and power over my life, my feelings, my health, my mental health. I gave him that power. So after that, I would put out, but not as much as, you know, anyone would like, I'm sure. I was still going through his phone and I started seeing text messages from like random numbers with just random numbers, but they were like text messaging numbers back and forth. So I kept checking. And after about a week or two, I finally saw a text message It said from him, how much? And the text message said 50 for BJ, 84 basically sex. So that's when I knew that he was contacting sex workers. I didn't know if he was going through with it. One night I was sitting in the living room watching TV and he walks by me with this guilty look and he just said, I'm going out. I knew something was up. So I followed him. I asked my mom, mom, can I take your car? I'm going to go follow Michael. And she said, please don't, please don't. Nothing good's going to come of it. Please don't just let it be. I said, no, I need to know. I followed him. So he went to a motel six block away from where we lived, pulled in. I parked like adjacent to him, but just a couple, one or two spots over. And he was still in the car and he was talking. So I think he was like talking to someone through the Bluetooth. He was just sitting there talking and I'm crying because I know what he's about to do, but I needed to see it. I needed a reason to leave him, him forcing himself on me, him gaslighting me, him body shaming me, him taking all my money wasn't enough. I needed something that I could tell people he cheated on me. That's why I left him. Not any of these other horrible things. I needed to see it. I needed it. So then I realized that he's not going to see me. I don't want him to see me because I want to catch him in the act. I realized I don't want to stop him. So I kind of backed up. So I was behind him, but he couldn't see me. So then he never gets out of the car. He drives back home. So I get home, park the car, and he's still in the car. I walk past him. I look at him. I'm crying. And I just shake my head. And he gave that look to me like, oh, shit, she knows. So I go inside. I lock myself in the bathroom. And he's banging on the door like, Steph, let me in. Steph, let me in. And I'm just like, no, no, I know. I know what you did. 
It's like, what are you talking about? So I let him in and we're in the bathroom arguing. And I said, I saw you. You can't tell me I didn't see you. I saw you. You took the car. I followed you. And he was just like, what are you talking about? You didn't see anything. I saw you at the Motel 6. I know you were there. I just came back from there. And he just finally said, well, it's your fault because you're not putting out. It's your fault that I had to go and look for sex workers because he didn't call them sex workers. I prefer that term now. But I have to go look for sex workers because you're not putting out. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. All while everyone's home. We broke up. (laughs) We broke up that night, but we still weren't over. I told him that he needed to move out. He agreed. He asked for one month to find a place because he didn't want to move back in with his dad. And I said, of course, I have to help you. I have to help you get back on your feet. Let's still share a bank account. You could still use my car. I would try and stay away as much as I can. You know, we were broken up at this point, but we're still living together. We're still sharing a bed. In the month he was supposed to be finding a place to live, he was going to buy a car off of his brother-in-law. So I drove him all the way, like, you know, an hour and a half away to take him to pick up the car. I had a cousin that lived in like maybe like 10, 15 minutes away. I just literally dropped him off. I didn't say hi to the family. I went to go spend time with my cousin. After about an hour or two, I get a call from him. I'm not doing well. I'm sick. Something's wrong. So I race back to his sister's house and he's on the couch gripping his stomach and just zoned out, just groaning like a zombie. And I could see it in his mom's eyes that she's scared. I was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he's just groaning in pain and he's holding his stomach. And he had had his gallbladder removed years and years ago because he ate like shit. He always had stomach problems, but I had never seen him like this. So I said, I'm going to call 911. And he was just like, no, no. And he falls to the floor, gripping his stomach. I look at his sister. Do you want me to call 911? She said, no, we can't afford it. And I said, okay, I'll take him to the hospital. So I get his ass in the car, take him to the hospital. Get to the hospital, helping his mom fill out the intake paperwork because he's incoherent. Mom can't speak English. So I'm doing all the paperwork. So I take him back. They're doing all these tests. I'm waiting in the room with him. And he's high as a kite because they gave him morphine for the pain. His mom's scared. Doctor comes in and says, we can't find anything wrong with you. And he's like, but I'm a, I was in a lot of pain. He's like, well, you're not now. We gave you morphine. And he's like, I feel the pain right here. And he's like, well, I saw that you don't have a gallbladder anymore. So I don't know what could possibly be hurting you right there. And he was like, well, I read that sometimes I could still pass a stone. And he's like, maybe a stone is stuck in the duct and your body is trying to pass it. But we can't find anything wrong with you. When I heard that, I was like, he's faking it. He's acting out. He's realizing now I'm getting my car back. I'm going to have that freedom. Doomsday is coming because you got to be out. The clock's ticking. I think it was just too much for him. And he just had a panic attack, had a mental breakdown, whatever it was. Once I heard the news, I told his mom, are you good? I'm leaving. I left. I was so upset. So I left him there and he eventually, he came home a few days later in his new car. We were still broken up, but we were living together and I started online dating again. Just wanted to feel something. 
because I wasn't being kind to myself and I didn't love myself at this point in my life, I was finding unsavory characters as well. I'm a firm believer in if you don't love yourself, that's what you're projecting and that's what you're going to attract. That's a whole other story. So I started online dating and he started dating a coworker and I was going out, partying. I had my car now working. I think it was during the summer. So I didn't, I don't remember going to classes at night. I just remember as soon as I come home, shower and shave, head to the bar, you know, after sleeping it off, coming home at five in the morning and then reporting for work at seven in the morning and just doing that every day because I had freedom now. Are you living together still? That's yep. yes. Got it. Okay. He had asked for an extension and said, I need another two weeks because I don't want to move back in with my dad. And I said, okay, well, where are you in searching for places? How many places have you seen? He's like, none. I haven't found anything. So I went on Craigslist back in the day when Craigslist was popping. I had made this beautiful Excel sheet with links and dates and prices and what's included, what's not included, locations. And I gave it to him. I said, here. Pick one of these places, go see it. Okay, thanks. Never did that, of course, because he asked for a two-week extension and didn't do anything. He didn't want to move. He was too complacent. He asked for another extension, and I said, no. No, I'm done. You need to get out. This is the date you need to move out. All while him and the coworker are fishing off, so he has a new girlfriend. And I'm still running the streets. Finally, no more extensions. I told him, you got to get out by this date. That's it. He didn't pack. I literally threw his stuff in bins, put them outside, and I said, load up your car, go. He didn't fit everything in his car, and I said, fine. You can come pick up these last, I think it was like two or three bins later. I'm done. You got to get out. So he leaves. That night, I actually was getting ready to go out, and I remember sitting in front of the mirror, curling my hair, listening to music. Oh, my gosh, I get to make this room myself. Super excited. New chapter. He's gone. We're broken up. It's done. And I get a phone call from him. My girlfriend just broke up with me. It was so sad. I was so happy he had a girlfriend because he had something else to fixate on. I was like, this girl, I need to get this girl some flowers. I need to like send her a card. She is making this move possible for me. He didn't end up finding a place, by the way. He ended up moving back in with his dad. I really need them to work out. I really need them to work out because at this point I was still having going out, having fun. He said, well, we haven't been intimate together. And I was like, I don't really care if you've been intimate with your girlfriend or not. And he's like, well, the day she promised me that we were going to have sex together, I said, hey, I'm going to go pick you up. And she told me, I don't want to be with you. I was only using you for your money and all the favors. I guess he would buy her stuff and whatever. I wasn't involved in their relationship. She told him, I don't want to be with you. I was just lying to you. I was using you. So he was heartbroken. I just said, dang, that sucks. But guess what? You'll find someone else. And he just said, yes. He called me to tell me goodbye. And I was like, all right, bye. And he's like, no, for reals, bye. I just took a bunch of pills. And I said, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm done. I'm depressed. I have nothing. I lost you. I lost her. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. He hangs up on me, tells me goodbye. He hangs up on me. I start blowing up his phone and he blocks me. So it's just going to voicemail. But then he would unblock me and then answer a phone call. He's like, I can feel it now. I can feel it now. So I'm freaking out. I know where his dad lives. So I drive there and I know the area that he parks in because 
it was a crappy part of LA that he lived in. I'm trying to stay on the phone with him as long as I can, because I don't know what he took. I knew enough to like get as much information as you can. So that when, when you call 911, when, you, when I find him and I call 911, I could tell them what happened and I could give him a timeline. And he won't tell me what he took. He's like, I don't know, whatever I found at the house, I can feel it. I can feel myself fading away. So I'm scared. I find him. He's in his car, in the driver's seat, passed out. Start banging on the window. And he kind of comes to, and i begging him to let me in the car. I said, I'm going to call 911. He's like, don't, don't, don't. I said, let me in the car. He lets me in the car. I get into the passenger seat and I see a bottle of Excedrin. I pick up the bottle. It's empty. And I said, is this what you took? And he said, yeah. And I said, did you take anything else? I don't remember. I can feel myself fading. I can feel myself fading. And I was like, I'm calling 911. And he's like, do not call 911. I get out of the car. I, I left the bottle there in the car. Call 911. I call my parents. Ambulance comes. They're getting him in. And they're like, what did he take? And I was like, all I know is that he took Excedrin. And then the female paramedic was just like, anything else? And I said, he wouldn't tell me. I have a feeling it's just Excedrin. There would be more stuff in his car. And she was just kind of like gave me this look like, really? So I just said, that's all I know. He called me at this time. It's been this long. I don't know when he took it sometime around there. The parents come and they see me hysterical as I'm talking to the paramedic and they're loading him up. And my parents start saying, tell him he can come back. Just tell him to come back. Tell him it's, everything will be okay. Just let him move back in. And I look at my parents and I say, no, he can't. I don't care anymore. I don't want him there. He's acting out. And my parents are like, because they don't know the whole situation. And they were, they're also people pleasers, enablers. I still wasn't done. So they take him away. I'm too hysterical to drive home. So my mom drives me home. My dad drives my car home. I sleep in the next day. He calls me the next day because he had been 5150 now. Calls me on a recorded line at the hospital. I told you not to call. This is your fault. I'm surrounded by crazy people. If you would have just let me die, I wouldn't be here. This is your fault. I was like, I didn't put those pills in your throat. This is all your fault. You should have just let me die. You're going to get it when I get out. Just watch. Just watch. Came to find out later. Funny, not funny. All he took was Excedrin. So all he did was have a really bad tummy ache. Did he actually think that it was going to do something? Or did he just take something in order to get you to respond? I think so. But then he doesn't, ex- he doesn't expect you to call 911? Correct. Why am I trying to make sense of it? I don't know. So he called me and threatened me and said, it was my fault. I'm going to get what's coming to me. I deserve what's coming to me. Called me a little bit later that day and said, you know what? This is your fault. You need to call my work and tell them that I'm in the hospital. I sent an email to his boss and said, he's going to be out for a few days. He's sick. And he called me again. This is the third phone call now. You need to go get my stuff from my place. I'm in here with all these crazy people and you need to go get my clothes and get my stuff. So when I'm released, I texted his stepmom and said, hey, can I swing by to grab some stuff? And she texted me back and said, hey, I'm not really comfortable with you coming over rummaging through his things when he's not here. Thank you for helping last night, but I don't feel comfortable with you coming over. 
totally understandable. I should have not inserted myself to fix his problems. I can't even say, but, you know, I shouldn't have. I should have just called 911 and left, blocked him and left. I didn't. So word got around about his suicide attempt and his sister calls me and says, hey, I just got a phone call saying that you're asking to go through his stuff. And I said, well, he needs stuff at the hospital. We're his family. We're going to take care of it. You need to stop. At first, I was very like, how could she talk to me like this? I'm just trying to help. But she said, you know what? If you two want to beat each other up until one of you dies, then go ahead. But if you guys get back together, you will not have our family support. You need to just leave him alone. And she hung up on me. I was hurt and I was like, I'm just trying to help because they can't do these things for him. Not that they couldn't do those things for him. That's what he was telling me. My family can't bring my stuff for me, right? That's their responsibility. I had to do it because I was getting the phone calls. It was my fault he was in the hospital for a suicide attempt. I realized, holy shit, she's right. One of us is going to die. Either we break up again, he's going to try and kill himself. Or he's going to really start hurting me, taking it out on me. Because, it's, again, it's my fault. He sees it as my fault. <sighs> so I stopped accepting phone calls from him at the hospital. He eventually gets released. I didn't know when. I didn't pick him up or anything. About a week or two later, he calls me and wants to talk. And I was scared. I was afraid he was going to make good on his threats. So I was very hesitant. <sighs> But we would call and text and I think we went out to grab coffee in a very public place. And he still believed that he had a shot. So after a few weeks of not dating, but just talking on the phone and texting still, I asked him and I said, what did you mean when you called me from the hospital? I was just mad. I didn't mean anything by it. And I said, yeah, but you were pretty upset that I called 911. I was like, do you understand why I called 911? I mean, no, but it's, it's in the past. It's fine. I'm not going to do anything. I just said that. He grew angry when I didn't take him back and I didn't want to be with him anymore. He said, you know, I think our problem is, is that we were living with your parents and I was just going crazy. If we could find a place of our own, don't you see that I've changed this past month? Can't you take me back? And that was a hard no for me. So I finally blocked his number, deactivated my Facebook. Wow. deactivated my Instagram and he found me on Reddit. I blocked him. Finally, he was still email me and I was met my husband, started dating. We got pregnant early on, like three months within dating. And you thought that you couldn't, that must've been the ultimate shock. Anyway, sorry, carry on. You know, it, it was the ultimate shock. We were not being careful. We were not using protection when I was with my husband when we were dating. And after three months, I got pregnant. And in the five years that I was with Michael, I was on birth control maybe the first year. Maybe we never used any kind of protection. I was very unsafe, but I never got pregnant. In the five years that we had unprotected sex, I never got pregnant. Wow. So that also kind of just reinforce the fact I was told I can't have kids. Now, looking back, I was just so stressed out. And it was the universe protecting me, not letting me have a kid with this guy. 
My first thought was, thank goodness there had to have been a reason that you were protected. Yes. I'm very grateful to whoever was looking out for me. Things moved fast with him, but he's wonderful. He had our first date. We took a train ride to go downtown LA to go look around. It ended up being a nine-hour date. We didn't hold hands. We didn't kiss or anything. We just shared experiences and it was amazing. I gave birth to Lorenzo exactly one year from our first date. It was a very tough pregnancy. I ended up having to be induced. He was very, very small. He was not considered premature by one day. So I was having a lot of complications. So unfortunately, he did not go full term. So they ended up having to induce me. It was a very scary pregnancy, but he turned out fine. I bounced back. But I think the universe sent me my husband, Alex. And I think we got crazy lucky because we are very compatible because of our shared experience, but just how we view life and how we cope and how we communicate. We have a not even an argument. We don't argue. We disagree. He wants to talk things through and work things out. And I'm just like, I'm the one that shuts down. I'm like, I need a minute. In the beginning, there was a lot of PTSD and just, is my family okay? And he's like, your mom's great. I'm sorry if I'm eating too much or whatever. He's like, do you're hungry? Eat. I'm running 15 minutes late. I'm so sorry. I'll be there as soon as I can. He's like, whatever. Life happens. We just showed each other acceptance, patience, and we communicate like crazy. So we had our baby bought a house and then we got married last year. So we did it everything backwards, but it's, it was us and it was just, it's beautiful. I am in the healthiest relationship I have ever been in. And I'm very honest with him about my previous relationship. He chose not to read it because he says that he's still processing everything that he went through. You know, like I told you that his marriage ended when they were arguing on the freeway. He was driving and she pulled the wheel and he went through three lanes of traffic and tried to kill them. Kind of like, if I can't have you, no one can kind of thing. He's still processing a lot and he's way further done processing than I am. I think that this interview, me writing it down, me starting to remember these things, it has been very therapeutic. And I stayed in that relationship for as long as I did because I was convinced that I wasn't worthy of a healthy relationship. I wasn't worthy of love. I was ugly. I was fat. I wasn't smart enough. I didn't have enough money. I I wasn't giving enough in the relationship. I didn't love myself. I didn't respect myself. I wasn't choosing myself. And finally, when Michael said, I've changed so much in this last month, how could you not want to get back together? I was like, you haven't changed. It's just better because we're not living together. We're not in each other's faces. At that moment, I was just like, no, I want to be by myself. I'd rather be in debt, which I was after him because he never paid me back. I'd rather be in debt and happy and free. It was so hard starting over. I'm not going to lie. I was broke, depressed. I made excuses for him for way too long. I was done. I wanted to just be alone. Whether I was unhappy or what, I was done. Like I said, you know, there was that period where I I went back to online dating. I met a lot of unsavory characters, but I also met my husband through online dating. Tinder. I had to just say, you know what? I'm in a better spot 
to receive love. I started not watching what I eat, but started making better choices. And I was learning to love myself. I went back down to a size like 12. And I was in no way, shape or form like toned or buff or whatever, but I was happy with my body. And I bought the two piece. I was just comfortable in my own skin. And I was just, I stopped wearing makeup because I was like, I have beautiful skin. Oh my gosh. I was able to receive love because I learned to love myself after dealing with Michael and dealing with all those crappy online dates. I had really bad postpartum with Enzo. The doctor said, hey, I said, my back hurts. I'm crying all the time. Like I didn't pass their little survey. He said, hey, you got to see a specialist. And the specialist was just like, for your back pain, do you want some pills? And I said, no, I don't want pills. I want therapy. I'm ready to talk. So they gave me some patches for my back and sent me on with a referral and I started therapy. I've been with the same therapist for a couple of years now. And at first it was just, you know, dealing with my postpartum and being a new mom and, you know, all the crazy, the traumatic pregnancy I had. And, but we've also talked about my previous relationship and she's helped me learn to be kind to myself. I'm still working on it, but learn to be kind to myself and forgive myself. And I've noticed that I can forgive a lot of people for a lot of terrible things, but I can't make the same mistakes. If you were to tell me, you know, I just got out of this really toxic relationship. Good for you, girl. I'm so proud of you. Yes, therapy. Yes, doing work on yourself. Yes, for being in a healthy relationship. But I can't forgive myself for staying for five years. But what I've realized is that I had to leave on my own terms. No one could tell me he's a bad guy. He's You shouldn't be putting up with that. You deserve more. I had to leave on my own terms because if I didn't, I wouldn't be the person I am today. I unfortunately have to go through what I did in order to learn that I do deserve love and respect and this crazy little happy baby over here. And I still get angry about myself from time to time. You know, I'm I'm not perfect and I'm not done healing I haven't forgiven myself for some stuff, but I'm working on it. And I think just the awareness and that I continue to go to therapy and that I continue to do work on myself. I think that I can recognize that that's a huge effort, you know, from where I was before. Of course, I wish it didn't take me five years to realize that I should have left a long time ago, but I needed to go through that in order to be where I am now. None of my friends could relate because no one knew the full story. And you're so ashamed to tell anyone your story because you pick and choose who you want to tell what to. So no one really knew how bad it was. But I guess to like anyone in a toxic relationship, you know, I just would want them to know that they deserve love and happiness. And even if your significant other tells you that you don't deserve it and no one else will love you the way that they do, they're wrong. You are able to give yourself that love. And you can do it starting today, starting right now. You don't have to wait to find someone else to love you, to be in a relationship. You can provide that love to yourself right now. And you don't have to wait for them to change because they're not. They're never going to change. It's just a bunch of empty false promises just to get you to stay and make you feel like you don't deserve the love and respect that you do. I guess my message is you don't need their love. They're not definitely not respecting you. 
you can give it to yourself. And it can definitely open up doors that I never thought would open. Hence me having a kid. I was so freaking stressed out. I couldn't have a kid. And three months into dating my husband now, I have this amazing, crazy, that part baby. <laughs> that blows my mind. This, it's a miracle. Yeah. You know, I have higher standards for myself than I do anybody else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So many people say, if someone were to tell you exactly what you are saying right now and had done what you had done, what would you tell them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd give them all this grace. Well, then why aren't you giving it to yourself? I think in my case, it's almost a pride thing. Like I expect myself to be able to do everything mm-hmm. perfectly. Why yeah. would I think I'm any you know different from anyone yeah. else? I wish I could show you my therapy notes because I take I'm that person that takes notes during therapy. I literally have written down, why don't you give yourself that grace? I do want to sincerely thank you for your openness and sharing not just a general outline of what happened, but getting specific. Because I know there are people out there that have not shared and keep it tight and to hear someone else verbalize what they haven't been capable of getting out themselves can be left. I know it's hard to process. Why did I take the five years or wondering, you Mm -hmm. know, what happened to me, but someone hearing the specific experiences that you had, especially the really hard parts to communicate, it can set them free. Thank you for being here, for subscribing, and for coming along with me as I learn the world of podcasting in this community takes shape. I have so many incredible stories coming next that I'm honestly having a hard time waiting each week to share the next one with you. If you found value in these conversations and you haven't already left a review, it would mean the world if you took a quick moment to write one or just share this with a friend who would appreciate it. Reviews and word of mouth are what grows a podcast. If you would like to help sustain this project, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash space and purpose, and all contributions go directly to supporting the ongoing costs of this podcast. If you can relate to any of the stories you've heard so far due to an experience with a manipulative or toxic person, and you feel you've successfully put some distance between you and that experience, you might want to consider reaching out to me via email so we can talk about sharing your story. That email is spaceandpurpose at gmail.com. Now, this isn't necessarily a platform to out someone or air frustrations, but hopefully to validate or affirm someone else that might relate and needs the encouragement. Last but not least, if you found this episode to be impactful, you will always make my day by posting about it in your Instagram stories and tagging me at Space and Purpose. I would love to hear from you. 